We continue our series in the Westminster Confession of Faith, and uh, today this morning's one is called Saving Faith. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is faith? And uh, Hebrews chapter eleven verse one says, "Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen." Therefore, faith is partly belief, and then actions based on facts. Then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So faith from beginning to end starts and finishes with Jesus. And then in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is based on God the Father. Faith is based on Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, one of the main problems in the modern church is people thinking faith is based on themselves. It's their ability. It's like their skill. The Bible sees that we are justified by faith. We are sanctified by faith. We are saved by faith. And we need to live through faith. So there's a a sense that faith is very God-centered. It is not our own doing. It is not our own ability. It is 100% a gift from God. We can see this in... uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift of God. So faith is not a work. It's not our ability. It's the result of God pouring his grace into our lives. We need to be careful to always see faith as God-inspired and grace-driven. Once we see faith as a work on our part, We've lost sight of what faith is all about. It is not our faithfulness, but the faithfulness of God. So it's easy to get the horse before the cart here. Now, faith is active. So yes, we believe things, but we actively reflect it in how we live our life. So in Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, faith may start in our mind, but it will be expressed through our actions. So when we look at uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says that the gift of faith makes it possible for the soul of the elect to be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. This gift is the work of the Spirit of Christ in the hearts of the elect. You say, well, where did they get this type of idea from? It comes from Ephesians 1 verse 17. God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, who he raised from the dead, and seated him to the right hand in heavenly places. Faith starts in our mind, it is seen in our words, and expressed in our actions. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says, No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Even on the day you first professed Christ as your Lord, that was initiated by God 
and empowered by God. So the first thing is we have uh, what is faith. The second thing is that faith is very much tied to our knowledge. That we need to have right knowledge to have right faith. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith says that is accomplished by the ministry of the word. So Christian faith is never naive. It's never blind hope. It is based on very solid foundations of truth. The Bible is full of facts that undergird our faith. The Bible would regularly say to people, open your eyes, research yourself and test for yourself what is true. And so in Hebrews 11 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and they reward those who earnestly seek him. So what are the facts of our faith? The highest priority for you and I is our Christian faith is based on Jesus' death and resurrection. The two come together. Now I picked one of the Gospels. Mark's Gospel is a short Gospel. But it does two things. It First of all it says, Jesus came to be the Jewish Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Chosen One. And the first eight chapters of Mark gives us the facts for him being the Messiah. The next eight uh, chapters, chapter 9 to 16, gives us the evidence that Jesus will die upon the cross. So if we quickly thumb our way through Mark's Gospel, what are the facts that it has there? First of all, it says that Jesus came to fulfil Old Testament prophecies. And we're talking about hundreds of predictions. So right there in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, which was the promise of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, There was one who will come after me. And everybody knew who the one was because the Old Testament spoke continually about the Messiah coming. Secondly, the Bible tells us that God the Father endorses Jesus. On the day that Jesus was baptized in Mark 1.11, it said, A voice from heaven you are my beloved son. The third thing, as we see, Mark says, is that Jesus taught with authority. In Mark 1.22, it says the people, they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one with authority. The thought, he says, he doesn't sound like our Pharisees, doesn't sound like our priests. He doesn't sound like the people who preach week after week in our synagogues. There is something about his teaching. So what things did Jesus do to prove that he was God himself? He forgave sin. And when he did forgive sins, and we see this in Mark chapter 2, 7, the people's response was, he is blaspheming. <coughs> who can forgive sins but God alone? And there's a whole lot of possible answers that people could have said. But Peter responds and says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed, the chosen one, the special person that God will send in the world to save us. And as soon as Peter says this, the next thing that Jesus does is start telling them that he will die upon the cross. And Peter takes him aside and says, look, Jesus, I think you're making some mistakes. And Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand why I'm here. And the next half of Mark's Gospel answers that question that Jesus will come, he will die, but he will then come back to life again. And at the end of the eight chapters, 
we find that Jesus will say things like this during these chapters. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Jesus goes through the court cases early in the morning after being beaten horrifically. He is nailed to the cross. At 9am he is put up. And at 3 o'clock he says, it is finished. Now at the end of the first eight chapters, Peter, a Jewish man, says, you are the Messiah. At the end of the next eight chapters, a Gentile Roman soldier says, truly this man was the Son of God. Why did Mark write his Gospel? That you may know that he is the Messiah, that he will die for you, that he will forgive your sins. Our faith is based on the resurrection. Our faith is based on facts that can be researched to see whether they are true. When Jesus talks about his resurrection in John chapter 11, he says this, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus very clearly says the road of faith is based on me. When Paul uh, reflects on our faith, faith, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For what I have received, I have passed on to you. As of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What scriptures is Paul talking about? He's talking about all the prophecies that are there in the Old Testament. He's talking about the, uh, the scriptures that have been written in the New Testament before him that pointed to who Jesus was. It's interesting. When uh, in Jesus' time, the local synagogues would have a, what's called a lectionary reading uh, format and a lot of their readings would point towards the coming of the Messiah. After Jesus dies and comes back to life again, and a couple of years later, the Jewish lectionary takes all the references to Messiah out of their readings. And you say, why did they do that? Said, because all those readings, people would say, gee, that looks like Jesus. And of course, their readings now have changed their direction to try and leave the prophecies of Jesus out of their synagogues. And one of the passages that was left out is called Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, many times I've, uh, I've loved sharing my Christian faith with friends who are Jews. And uh, each time I've said to them, look at two passages, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. When you come back after a week of uh, being away, tell me who they are talking about. And each time the person has come back and said to me, they were talking about Jesus. I had the privilege of uh, many years ago leading a, a young Jewish girl, the only Jewish girl at Kellyville High, to Christ. And you say, what did you do? He says, well, I told her two passages to read. But those passages is what brought her to faith. And Paul has the same sense of saying, there are facts out there that undergird our faith. And Paul explains this very clearly, what the process is of coming to faith is. In Romans chapter 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? 
And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Then Romans 10 verse 9, he clearly explains what faith is. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our faith is tied to the resurrection. Our faith is tied to Jesus. Our faith is not based on ourselves, but what Jesus has done. Our faith is not ourselves, but 100% achieved by Jesus. And our focus now as Christian believers is on the cross itself. When Paul talked about his preaching in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. To the lost, the cross is stupid. But to those who are saved, it is precious. Westminster Confession of Faith said, If they increased and strengthened by the word, by prayer, by baptism and the Lord's Supper. It says to us, we need to delve into the scriptures. That brings us to the next part. So faith is knowledge, is based on fact. The second aspect of faith is conviction, the conviction of our heart. So the confession says, by this faith a Christian believes whatever is revealed in the word to be true, authentic, and an authoritative statement from God himself. So when Jesus talks about this, he says in John chapter 4, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. Because Jesus had been talking to the woman at the world. She'd gone back to her town to say, I found the Messiah. I found this great Jewish preacher. Come and hear him. And they said, we no longer believe because of what we said. But we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. They checked out the facts and found that they were true. In 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really was, the word of God which works in believers. God is in the serious uh, situation of trying to lead us to Christ. The confession goes on and says, By this faith, by faith the believer humbly submits to and obeys God's various commands. He eagerly embraces his promises about this life and the life to come. Knowledge should lead to conviction. Conviction should lead to action. Trusting in Jesus is an active faith. Our heart, our head and our hands sold out for Christ. Our affections, our attitudes, our very soul is transformed by living faith. When Paul reflected on what made a Christian a Christian, he says this in 1 Timothy 4, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The confession describes this by saying the chief action of a saving faith 
is about accepting Christ, receiving Christ and resting on Christ alone for our justification, our sanctification, eternal life and the power of the covenant of eternal grace comes from Jesus. As it says in John 1.12, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be children of God. So we believe the resurrection. The resurrection makes us realize that Jesus is God's son. As God's son, he died to forgive us our sins. And those who ask him to be Lord of their life become children of his. Paul describes this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul could say, yes, I was going that way. I met and was confronted by Christ and he turned my life around that my focus was now on Jesus. That is what faith means. Now you and I and each person here will have a different level of faith. And our competition is not to compete with each other. We are all on our own journey of faith. We're all struggling with what does it mean to be a believer. But each of us are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So the next area of uh, we need to look at it. So uh, faith involves knowledge. It involves conviction. It involves action. But it also involves us to grow. So Ephesians 6.16, In all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith, with it you extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So what happens when you and I are tempted? What happens when we are given a crossroad, when we're told, do we go left or do we go right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation... He will provide a way of escape that you may endure it. The confession goes on and says that we need to mature and we find our assurance in Christ alone. So when the writer of Hebrews wants to encourage the believers there, he says in Hebrews 10, Let you and I draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean with evil, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Faith involves us hungering for holiness. If we are truly Christ's child, we will live a Christ-like life. As it says in 2 Timothy 1, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed for what I know I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard until the day which has been entrusted to me. Paul knew from the day of his conversion to the day of his death that God would not let him go, that God would not leave him. And even in his most sinful moments, God held on to him by faith. And we need to say, where does our faith come from? Our faith ultimately comes from Jesus himself. 
So there in Hebrews 12. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand on the throne of God. What is faith? Faith is by God's free gift of grace. Faith means that you and I are called to be seekers after truth. Faith means that we need to be convicted of our sins and be convicted by the Spirit of God to be Christ-like people. And faith is something that we live out day by day by day by our thoughts, by our convictions, by our words and by our actions. Faith is living and vibrant. I'm always delighted when I uh, talk to different people about how they came to faith. And it's interesting how often people say, I had a friend who had this godly witness to me. And you say, what was their witness? Their witness was not just their words, but their very life reflected Christ. And they knew that they were loved by God. God is in the business of changing lives and calls each of us to come to him and say, Lord, you are my Lord and you are my Master. May I live for you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, it is indeed by saving faith that we come to a relationship with you as our Lord and Saviour. Father God, we hunger for your Son's return and pray that each day till then that our life by our words, our thoughts, our deeds and our actions that people will know that we are Christians by our love. Amen. We'll now stand and sing our last song today. We don't sing. Are we mouth words? Have thine own way, Lord.